This is Parking in Bitterman Circle for September 22nd, 2005. there. It's Aaron coming to you from Mexico City, Mexico, where it's uh, rather pleasant um, as uh, Texas and some of the South knows that September can sometimes be one of the smokier and hotter times of the year. Uh, it's actually very pleasant in the uh, 60s and 70s down here. We can get a little bit rain in the afternoons. Um, down here on work, and um, surprisingly close to leaving. I'm only about two hours away from heading for the airport and uh, going to our next destination. But right now I'm looking over uh, Chapultepec Park, a huge park off the edge of the Polanco District in, in Mexico City with a view of the Auditorio Nacional and the zoo and even uh, the castle that kind of exists on the edge of this thing. But um, if you've never been, though it is uh, currently a somewhat dangerous place and rather you know, 22, 23 million people live here, uh, it's a fascinating place, and uh, I enjoy my time when I come to visit here. Uh, today's episode of Parking in Bitterman Circle is uh, a little disjointed, a sort of a hodgepodge of, uh, I don't even know if that's a word, that's something I should know better to do, but anyways... Um, we, as we've been traveling, I really haven't been focusing that much on uh, my uh, podcasting, taking the time. But I, strangely enough, I have been recording things, and I, uh, I'm i going to share a couple of those things with you. They're not long enough to be full podcasts, so this is kind of a grab bag of uh, a few... A few um, sort of sound seeing kind of things, um, and I'm going to kind of experiment with those. So uh, from Mexico City, I'm now going to um, send you straight over to uh, Tokyo, Japan, where um, I did a little source recording on the platform of the Shikansen, the bullet train there in Tokyo. We were heading from Tokyo to Osaka one morning, and... Um, I I enjoy it in, in Japan. I enjoy the sounds, the smells, the people, uh, just the entire atmosphere. And um, there's nothing quite like the experience of uh, waiting for the train. And um, um, I, no, we'll just get this started, and 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 I'll explain as we go along. I think it's probably the best way to go. And um, let it speak for itself. 
uh, as with any of the I River recordings and lots of different uh, levels. Um, probably would be best not to be doing, um, you know, uh, fine, meticulous uh, carvings of uh, diamonds and stuff uh, because uh, the sound levels do jump from time to time. But here's uh, um, Tokyo, Japan, bullet train platform. Exciting, and uh, there was a lot of elements that uh, I enjoyed uh, tremendously. Um, I mean, I was on the verge of a nervous breakdown after about a week of being here, but uh, at the same time, um, it started my love affair with this country and the culture and all I've entailed, good, bad, or indifferent, it's kind of a, it really, as, as modern and as civilized as it is, it couldn't be more different than uh, the initial American experience. There are more things now in common than there ever was. Obviously, when you go to places that don't have the resources and technology, it's, uh, it's even more foreign. But,
You know, at this point, I, uh, I just stopped talking and I continued recording the sounds of the train station. You know, obviously a large train. Uh, in Japan, it's, it's rather remarkable because um, they're very efficient. Uh, they come in within 30 seconds of when they say they're going to be for the most part. They're big display boards up that go between the uh, kanji and the more identifiable western characters and um, little arrows pointing to either side of the platform to let you know which train is which and that's actually the one that's coming in because if you get there 20-30 minutes early you will probably see three more trains come on that platform all in a row right before your train comes um, the sound of the motors and the blowers you hear constantly in the background and the different uh, announcements and sounds that tone to me always just sort of it sort of reminds me of waves sort of gently rolling and then crashing against the sand and then you have the uh, the warning sounds those uh, they're obviously like uh, strong signals and then the sound of the train as they pull away and they get going so fast hear it and they're so long 16 18 20 cars and they pull away and it gets surprisingly quiet there's a lot of people coming up the stairs onto the platform carrying newspapers and buying food and drinking coffee there's not a lot of real true waiting space there are sort of these stand, strange standing benches next to trash cans and they have things separated for newspapers and recyclables and, and trash and, and one of the fun things is, is to go into the kiosks that sell food and drink and, and find things you've never seen before and sometimes you take a chance It's a really a very pleasant experience for me. And the sounds that you're hearing are very much a part of it. You're waiting to go somewhere. And you get this feeling that you have to continue paying attention because no one's going to hold your hand. You don't understand the language. You can look down at your ticket and see the number of your train and the car of your train and you have to be standing in the right place and here comes another train and um, there are, there's etiquette to where you stand and where you get in line and how you're supposed to stand and Americans tend to be a little bit oblivious to how everything goes on there. I enjoy just sitting and kind of observing how the flow goes and just uh, 
sort of letting it all wash over you, over me, I suppose. You know, you might have, uh, a lot of people have their iPods or, you know, Walkmans in the day and tuning it all out. But for me, I, I would really enjoy to have the Eye River on and being able to hear what I was recording. And the train pulls away. quiet again. And then it all starts over again. The sounds cycle around and around. The trains come and go. It's not a very American experience unless you live in a city that has you know, train stations and, and commuters. Um, you know, having lived in Los Angeles, now living in Texas, there's not really a, a train culture to speak. And these trains are fascinating. They go so fast. And, and um, it's almost cheaper to fly a lot of times as opposed to going in the green car, which is kind of like the first class of the bullet train and uh, you know for Tokyo to Osaka like uh, the the other podcast I did they actually use a 747 to go between the two cities for a commuter plane every couple of hours that's how many people go back and forth but the train is an opportunity to sleep and to rest it's very strangely restful and um Carts come through selling coffee and goodies. You have to still pay attention because that train, there's no one to hold your hand to tell you to get off the train. Pay attention. Pay attention to the signs and get out of the train when they go because they're not going to be there for very long. I love Japan. I love going there. And uh, there's a good chance I'll be headed there later on in the year maybe early next year Parking in Bitterman Circle. Bitterman Circle dot com. B I T T E R M A N C I R C L E dot com.
Com. 你主持人是 Aaron Michalski. 谢谢你们收听 Thank you for listening. 再见 Goodbye. And everyone's. I talk about what's. Now you should listen to this because this concerns you. Hi, this is Dave Slusher from the Evil Genius Chronicles. Shenanigans will ensue. It's a show where we play indie music from groups who won't sue your nuts off for spreading their name. I'm ready to rock right now. Are you kidding me?、Yeah. It's a show about voices, mine, yours, and everyone's. I talk about what's on my mind. I converse with musicians, filmmakers, ordinary citizens, and ne'er do wells of all stripes. Check out EvilGeniusChronicles.org for more information and to subscribe. We did what you told us. We stuck it to the man. If you give me the gift of a little of your time, I promise to try to entertain, enlighten, and maybe even baffle you. Evil Genius Chronicles. Thanks. Yep, that's Dave Slusher over at Evil Genius. He's definitely worth checking out.、Um, sorry about that gaff.、Uh, as it is when you do these things live,、uh, there's always、uh, room for error, or especially for the computer to do whatever the hell it wants to do.、Um, that rapid fire guitar. That was、uh, Matthias I A Eklund. From Sweden, of the group Freak Kitchen, finally, 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 his solo album, which was re- released last year in the rest of the world, is now available in the United States and is actually downloadable from iTunes. There will be a link in the show notes.、Um, just a quick interrupt in the midst of our sound seeing nonsense.、Um, I'm reading a fascinating book. I'm just about done.、Um, my friend Gary Gold、um, pointed it out to me.、Uh, Gary is a very—it's funny. It's one of those one of those people that、uh, seems to have been in my life. Well, I've known him since I was about thirteen, and、um, we've kind of led parallel lives since then. And he's still plugged in and still gets it. Especially the technology aspect of things,、uh, what's going on today, and、um, he said you need re- you really need to read this book, and the book is called The Future of Music: Manifesto for the Digital Music Revolution. It's written by David Kusek and Gerd Leonard,、um, a couple of real smart guys who talk about the fact that. The old business model of the record companies doesn't work with、um, file sharing and、uh, everything being digitized now, and that they need to really take a very, very close look at、um, what they're trying to do and what they're trying to hang on to, because it's basically going to go down in flames if they don't start changing right now. Um, because 
it's getting to a point where they're not needed. And um, now that we have the Internet, now that we have broadband, the means of distribution, distribution are in the hands of the common man, um, if you didn't know that already. But um, they are... This is, I think it's mandatory reading for all musicians, roadies, um, or as uh, Mike Dries from Newberry Comics says on the back of the book, for anyone who owns an iPod, an Xbox, or a PS2, has ringtones in their phone, or has a, lo- a computer loaded with MP3s. Um, it is fascinating reading. I don't know how it's going to play out. I don't think anybody does. But it's, it seems like these large corporations are hanging on, just hanging on. And um, they have a chance to transform, to morph into something different. Uh, there is a website, www.futureofmusicbook.com. There will be a link in the show notes. And um, Mark Foreman from Getting a Leg Up pointed out to me, Hi, Mark that uh, they've just started a podcast. They're actually serializing the book chapter by chapter as a podcast. So those of you who have trouble with a written word or just would prefer her to listen to it um, in podcast form, you can go to futureofmusicbook.com, find the link for the podcast, and subscribe. I believe they're up to chapter two at this point, so you don't have a lot of catching up to do. It's fascinating stuff, and um, and it's really interesting to hear what smart people have to say about it. Okay, next segment, we are going to Austin, Texas. Weezer has joined forces with the Foo Fighters, and we've created the, uh, for lack of a better term, the Foozer Tour um, we've already done, I think it's six, six shows in the United States. And, um, I thought one morning it might be a good idea to give you guys a slight sound seeing tour of load in. I know I've done a set change before was, which is kind of frenetic. Um, but load in is one of those things that not a lot of people are exposed to unless you are, either a stagehand or in the business of, of setting up things. And um, I think I got some very interesting thoughts and sounds. Um, once again, uh, work safe? No. Um, I actually end up talking to two guys on the crew, and I thank uh, Red and Daniel for participating, whether knowingly or not. I, I tend to walk around with this mic hanging out of my shirt and uh, really didn't have any intention of talking to anybody in this, but uh, some of the things that were said were worth saying. So there is some vulgarity coming in the next segment. And um, also, as we start, I had to put the initial section as I'm coming by a... Uh, a large semi pulling out of a hole. Uh, it was really loud, so I had to put a limiter on the initial uh, part of the file, and uh, and then it sort of balances out. So be ready for some um, volume changes and loud noises because that's the world I live in, 
And um, we take you now to Austin, Texas, and the Frank Irwin Center. Well, it's morning. It's Aaron from Parking Bitterman Circle. Austin, Texas. Frank Irwin Center. Foo Fighters Weezer Tour. Take you in for load in. Irwin Center is an arena with a big truck ramp. In fact, there's a truck in the hole right now, as they say. Probably hear that in the background. Pulling out, getting ready for the next truck. already been uh, six of our eight trucks have been unloaded at this point. Crews waiting around for the next truck to be unloaded, taking a break, having some coffee or water or something. The bottom of the ramp we've got a uh, hallway and uh, dressing rooms on either side. At this point, the riggers, the guys who climb up in the beams of the ceiling, they've gotten pretty far so far. And uh, what they're doing, as they do with all rock shows, is they're up in the ceiling, and guys on the floor tell them where they need the chain motors. And they lower a rope down, and uh, up goes piece of steel and a piece of burlap, and then the end of a chain which is attached to a chain motor. And once those are secured around the beams in the ceiling, the motor is then brought up to a certain height and it's attached to a lighting truss or a PA speaker uh, or a stack of PA speakers attached to a bumper. And then that stuff is taken up into the ceiling. So that all that stuff is hanging over our heads. This is something that happens every single day. Now the Foo Fighters Weezer Tour, we're carrying eight trucks of stuff. A lot of it's lighting and video. And, uh, and uh, you know, there's a couple of, you know, the band gear doesn't take up all that much space. Um, the Irwin Center is a round arena, like uh, the Forum or Madison Square Garden, but smaller. It's, uh, I believe it's the University of Texas here. Um, I'll probably get that wrong. And please, any Texan fans, uh, UT fans, or, or uh, any of the other schools, if I've got this wrong, forgive me. I'll see if I can find a sign and, and uh, get it right. So, you hear all those sounds in the background, people yelling, and uh, it's quite a sight to see all these chains. It kind of looks like uh, some kind of a, uh, someone sitting there with a protractor and trying hundreds of lines extending into the ceiling. 
it's strangely quiet for a load-in. Usually there's lots of people yelling from the sky. And so some things, some of the lighting pieces are being pre-built in front of the house. The sound guys are wiring power for their motors and, and uh, running lines across, getting everything ready to go so that when uh, the motors are in place, things can be attached and then raised up to trim, which is where um, they set the lights and sound at the same level so that the same effect and the same appearance occurs every day. Now, obviously, with some buildings, we get a challenge where we can't actually go to trim. I'm just walking by this... Uh, other platform because the Foo Fighters are using lasers. And, uh, laser device is, uh, it looks kind of low tech from the outside. It looks like this weird box where somebody's taking a uh, jigsaw and cutting out random holes in it. But uh, it's anything but random. In fact, uh, laser stuff, as you, the, the, term, the term laser precision, um, actually it has to be pinpoint correct or it doesn't work quite right. Um, I hope at some point to get some pictures of, of that, because um, they are pretty neat. I mean, lasers are an old school kind of thing, but at the same time, they, uh, they're, kind of, they're kind of neat. And uh, Foo Fighters are using four lasers on this tour, as well as the number of uh, interesting video uh, applications. So, initially, a lot of these straight trusses uh, get wired. And in a lot of cases, some lights actually travel in the trusses, and some of moving lights travel separately because they're so expensive. They have their individual boxes, and they're hung one by one uh, on the truss and then wired so that the computer, the console, can communicate with them. Um, the wine you hear in the background, of course, is a forklift. People running cables. I'm going to scurry off to uh, catering and get a cup of coffee, so I don't sound completely asleep. And uh, once I do that, we'll go back to uh, wandering around. I am now caffeinated, or at least have a large solo cup full of coffee, so I can go cause trouble. Passing by our production office, actually there's two production offices on this. Uh, we're bringing the Foo Fighters set off, which is massive. It's actually kind of neat because it's a uh, sort of a conglomeration of old speaker cabinets, both sound and uh, guitar. Um, they're mostly false, but uh, they're little, there are actual working amps weaved into them. Uh, but it ends up looking like uh, Fred Sanford's rock show. Huge wall of stuff. You go out to the front of the stage where they have... Uh, PA with a with a um, 
particular PA that we use is a line array PA, which is a big uh, strip of rectangular boxes attached to one another. And the advantage to one, one of the advantages to a line array system is that you can actually attach it all together and then pull it up like a uh, like a belt, which is kind of neat. I'm gonna go over here, sit down, and have my coffee, and we're listening to the dulcet tones of local stagehands and riggers and our guys yelling at one another and trying to get things accomplished. Even with a medium range size tour like this, eight trucks um, usually come in about eight o'clock. We try to, sorry, try to design these things so that uh, you can get them in a timely manner so that your labor costs don't just demolish you. So coming in, come in at eight and get all this stuff uh, hung up in the air and with three bands, you start sound checking around three, try to be done by six, start the show at seven, get out by eleven, and have the buses rolling by two. And, uh, you know, even though this is only, what, show number, let's see, Atlanta, one, two, three, four, this will be show five. Um, we've kind of gotten into a groove. Yesterday was a little bit unusual because we played at an outdoor amphitheater. Um, what we usually call a shed. So we had to modify and reduce the amount of equipment we were using. You know, I say it like I'm doing something. I'm just some idiot that sets up a drum kit and a bass amp. And, uh, you know, I'm just like the cherry on top. There's some guys here that, uh, they do work for me, you know, 7 o'clock in the morning until, uh, 2 o'clock in the morning. But, I'm really not going to apologize for having the job that I have. I do what I do. They do what they do. And, um, and that's okay. The sound you hear is someone checking a CO2 tank. I'm not going to tell you what that's for, but I will say that every day, uh, we get six CO2 tanks delivered to the venue. It's used to propel something. There are any Weezer fans out there who are going to see the show. I don't want to ruin every aspect of the show. I ruin most every aspect of the show. So, um, I've always found it, I think it's interesting to have, uh, I accidentally turned myself off. I turned myself off a lot. But, I wish it was possible to have not only band members, but booking agents and managers and people like that uh, come in and see what it takes uh, they're, they're very sometimes they're very good at looking at these things in the, ex, in the abstract but the actual application on a daily basis of this show, of any show um, can be I mean it's pretty pretty overwhelming I mean it, there, there are times when you, here, uh, as an example, we, we did a show um, a while back and uh, the band was going to be there at 3 o'clock and we got a phone call from the handler at about 2 
and they seemed surprised that we were already there. We'd actually been there since 8 a.m. dealing with all the details. But the person from the management company actually seemed surprised that we were there an hour before the band was supposed to be there. Like we could show up 30 minutes or 20 minutes beforehand and be ready. Um, in some situations, that could very well be the case. But no, I mean, in order to do it right, you have to... Uh, I mean, with a production of this size, obviously you have to come in early. But even for um, backline guys, you got to do maintenance. And, you know, you have to take your time and make sure everything's working and, and test it all. And, um, you know, change heads, change strings, tune it up, clean it up. And... Uh, line check it and make sure that uh, when the band guys walk in they can start playing uh, immediately um, so sometimes I wish that they being those people that make decisions concerning our lives actually would come in and watch it from beginning to end uh, I've actually had managers that I've worked with uh, point at our lights and sound and say, hey, did we bring that with us? Now, here's the person who allegedly had signed off on the bids and the budget on this tour, and they they honestly don't know that we travel with our own sound and lights. It's scary sometimes, but uh, hey, you know. In corporate, the corporate world, and in the you know the everyday work world, uh, you see the same kind of mental negligence or selective uh, processing. Um, so this is what work sounds like before the before the guitars, before the drums, before the bass. It sounds like uh, people dropping pieces of metal and pulling chains and slamming slamming case lids and yelling across the room and talking into walkie-talkies. And, you know, as it stands now, I mean, I'm in early. I'm in. That's a chain being pulled up by two sides and banging against the box that it came out of. Someone should be feeding that, but they're not. Um, yeah, my call time isn't for a while, but I thought I'd come in early and give you some of the sounds of uh, sounds of preparation. Um, it's always a little bit risky walking around talking to yourself. People think you're mentally ill. Oh, like I said, I'm pretty sure there's a certain element of that, but. At the same time, people think you're up to something and you're uh, going to uh, expose them or something. I mean, it's not like I'm going to get a, a waiver from everybody that's in here. Uh, we haven't gotten into waivers or podcasting yet. Morning. How you doing, Red? Nah. I River. So how's it going? Glad to be back in an arena? Yeah, actually. Actually, it wasn't as bad as I thought it would be yesterday. 
No, I was looking at it, and I was looking at that front thrust, and I was going, I can't believe they didn't try to hang the soft curtain across that proscenium thrust. It was curved and everything. Yeah. Believe me, somebody would have thought of that if... Uh, if given the, the chance? Yeah. Well, I'm glad nobody did. I'm glad nobody <laughs> did, too, for you, for your sake. Yeah. But it was just, yeah, it was too tight to... Uh, I know our loadout was uh, a little crowded out there. Yeah. Well, that's a small dock, that place, too. Well, for everybody who was complaining about it, I had two words for them. Desert sky. It's about two feet shallower. Yeah. That's true. I think it's only a six-foot dock there. What we got? We got another one that's bad coming up. Uh, well, tomorrow we're at, we're at Starplex, but that's... That's you know, not comparable. bad. That's fine. The stage is a little shallower, isn't it? Shallower but wider. Yeah. Plus, you've got those sound wings, so sound is completely not an issue. As long as they go out in them. Well. Fucking liner rays. I hate them with liner rays. Oh, they have to be touching the, the performer's face. Goes to trust. All right, going out. Yep. Going past the lighting dimmers around the back. What's up, Barry? Ah, uh, just uh. Getting in people's way. Yeah. Nice. Hey, you know. You gotta do what you gotta do. Well, you gotta maintain your reputation as being a fucking worthless pain in the ass. <laughs> another truck pulls out. Usually means that another truck's gonna pull in. Will it ever stop? Yeah. I was talking to Paul, our truck driver. He says upstaging has 350 trucks on the road right now. 125 of them with the stones. Oh, 125 trucks? What? But they're doing everything. They're doing the steel crews and, and everything. But Still. 125, 125 trucks. Yeah. That is insane. Fuck that. I'm, what I'm thinking is, is whoever's at the office at upstaging... Yeah. Who has to answer the call of 350 truck drivers? Right. And I'm figuring at that point, what, 10 or 15 production managers and 10 or 15 tour accountants right. going, now, about this. Yeah, about this overdrive. This, I, I, go, I go, what tour are you on? Where are you? Right. What do you mean? No. Crazy. Wow. <laughs> Yeah. I still got another hour before I need to put on a belt and a pair of shoes. Yeah. I still walk around like some kind of beach. Where are you getting set up today? Nobody knows. I'm the last guy on the list. Yeah. Well, that's Austin. Austin, Texas. Oh, wait a second. You stop that. Jeez. You know, I'm probably going to have to spend a couple hundred bucks and get some decent software to pull this off in the future. 
Um, though we are now over 40 minutes, which is where I like to stop usually, um, I want to finish up with the fact that we've been to Japan, we've been to the United States, we are in Mexico now, and now in less than an hour and 20 minutes, I'm headed for Curitiba, Brazil, to do the Curitiba Rock Festival with our group. And for the past couple of days, I've just taken all of my Brazilian music and uh, put it in a sort of party shuffle in iTunes, and I've been listening to it pretty much nonstop. And um, though this stuff is all protected and whatnot, um, here's a song which kind of sets the mood for me. And I'm going to say goodbye at this point. Uh, thank you for um, subscribing and listening to Parking in Bitterman Circle, which, uh, of course, let's just put some um, info here. Um, the site, the blog site is www.bittermancircle.com, where you can uh, subscribe to this. And um, if you have any comments, thoughts, sound clips, uh, whatever, um, you know, maybe, uh, chimichurri recipes, uh, you can contact me at Aronsky, which is A-R-O-N-S-K-I at gmail.com. Um, all the other information should be on the show notes. Luckily, when you have pre-recorded segments like that, you can kind of work on the show ma- show notes while you're recording. Um, this track is from a father and daughter, Bibel and Joao Joubert. <laughs> you know, there's something bad about the combination of latency in your headphones and trying to pronounce things in Portuguese properly. Bibel and Joao Gilberto. Thank you. I'm just such a international kind of guy. And here's an old classic um, Brazilian standard. And um, thank you for listening to Bitterman, uh, Parking in Bitterman Circle. And um, everybody on uh, Texas Coast, get out. Get out. Category 5 headed your way. Get out and be safe. And, um, you know, our prayers are with you. Talk to you soon.
Que é pra acabar com esse negócio 